This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and I am back again today with Rowan Kent. Rowan, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Doing great. You know, not the first time I've turned my computer on, gotten to the microphone, and <laughs> it feels like when you're, you know, playing basketball and you've gotten some shots up early. So I'm all, I'm all fresh. Perfect. Well, we have a very interesting prospect to talk about today. One of, I think, the biggest risers on my board, at least, to start the college basketball season, but someone who certainly has not been out of the sort of prospect radar for any time over the last few years. So, Rowan, why don't we start? I'm curious, why did you choose to write about Rob Dillingham for this article? When I had first been thinking about just Rob in general as a prospect, it was running into like seeing him when I was checking a lot deeper in on the Thompson twins last year, I knew in games I'd turn on with the cold hearts. Rob was a name that just had stuck out. I knew more of the basics, but watching him last year and watching him this year, as you were saying, he's like a fast riser. There's so much that's the same that I loved about him stylistically and as a player before. And yet the little tweaks he's made to his game have made it so it's not just a, oh, look, like Dillingham's really fun to watch, but can it translate? It, it started to translate in these first eight games. And that's what's made him someone that, instead of being on the fringes of conversations, has started to really enter, like, I'd say first round conversations across a lot of different mediums. I mean, we certainly had a conversation that revolved around Rob Dillingham in the first round very recently. So, you know, for those of you who will check out when it comes up, uh, we at No Ceilings have a surprise for all of y'all, but certainly Rob Dillingham was part of that discussion in the first round. 
I am curious with Dillingham, the thing that I think has stood out the most to me and, you know, feel free to feel free to lean either way on this, but it was very interesting to see him go from someone who I think Chucker is not unfair to say about what we saw from him in OT and he's been a lot more under control this year for Kentucky. And I think part of that is, you know, as it usually is, the talent around him is very different than it was in last year's context. But it is fascinating that, you know, the early returns from him have been, you know, rather than just, okay, you know, can he put up enough shots at average efficiency to be a valuable offensive player? It's no, he's actually been really efficient basically across the board, you know, not just shooting, but with the ball in his hands as well. Yeah, I think a large part of that is choosing to go to a school like Kentucky. Anecdotally, there are a lot of players who talk about John Calipari being very real with their strengths, their weaknesses. Rob chose that. He had been at a number of different schools prior to Kentucky, and he spent, I believe, the summer there before. He's taken time to fit in which is something that when you think about players who have like a chucker or like a volume score label, the idea of fitting in is one where it's not often that someone's fit in to take like a third of their team's shots and sometimes inefficient shots. There are players I'd say in the NBA, like Jordan Clarkson, who it started more as chucker derogatory. And now for his teams, like he fills an important role in that way. That's not exactly what Dillingham's been doing, as you were pointing out. He's been playing more within the team concept and really leaning into what makes him special instead of playing like that same sort of volume guard who takes a lot of shots. So let's sort of dig into some of the specifics of what you were just saying there. And, you know, you mentioned very early on in the piece that it's pretty easy to see just through the jump shots he's been taking. And, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, he's more he's taken you know more than 20 catch and shoot threes already at this point in the season eight games in which you know compared to the 31 he took last year at ote it's a completely different shot diet in a way that you know i think lends into the efficiency that we were talking about and each team like the two teams are very different in like composition of players there are guys on this kentucky team who let's imagine them on the cold hearts last year could have helped to facilitate those same chances for Dillingham but it's also like a conscious decision that he's making when he's out there his pull-up jumper is a weapon it's something that has been a weapon for him for a long time but you can't simply rely on the pull-up you wouldn't want to get like an open pass and then dribble yourself into a tougher shot which you used to do the fact that he is recognizing his role as one of the most important floor spacers for the Wildcats, and then stepped into it, it speaks to the way he is able to mold his game, which it didn't always look like it would be as moldable, but he's given himself a few other archetypes he could fit into in any offense based on choosing to take more catch-and-shoots. Yeah, I think that's the key here is just, you know, and I actually talked about this with Steven last week on here, but, you know, a lot of pretty much every prospect that we're talking about for, you know, potential first round looks in the NBA was the best player on their high school team. The vast majority of them were the best player on their college or international team, depending on where they're coming from. And so, 
you know, for a lot of players, they figured out, you know, year two, year three in the NBA that maybe they're not, you know, the go-to star and they have to find a way to fit into a rotational context to get playing time. So, you know, especially for someone like Dillingham, who, you know, there were concerns about, can he rein it in enough, you know, for him to be adjusting to, you know, a bit more of an off-ball sort of complementary role in the early going for Kentucky, that I think is a really strong sign that he's someone who he's going to figure out, you know, what his best role is, how to make that work, and, you know, not be someone who every time the ball touches their hands, they're looking to chuck it up, right? Like, I got to prove something. It's him being willing to fit into that kind of context, you know, at the college level rather than the NBA level is, I think, a really positive sign. Yeah, I think another sort of important not caveat in a totally discounts what he's done way, but being able to play off of the bench. I'm sure mm-hmm. that he was going to have just like the looks against like maybe more bench players, but the bench unit that he usually works with him and Shepard, who's had his own like rise up the elevator in terms of buzz based on his great play. It does speak to, I feel like there are some players when they're looked at as chuckers, volume scores, guys who think, they are like the man that it could have been a lot easier to have imagined Dillingham taking offense to the bench, but yeah, by maximizing and helping Kentucky really beat up on teams in those minutes where they go to him, it's representative that like the multiple paths he could take, they're much more tangible than I even would have thought a few months ago. Yeah, and that's, I think, the thing is the fact that there are multiple paths now rather than just the one. I mean, you know, going back to someone else I mentioned last week of Jimmer Fredette was someone who never figured out in the NBA because he was, you know, looking to be the star scorer that he was at BYU and never stuck in the NBA, you know, didn't really stick in the G League. He made it over to China and now he's a superstar because he's playing the kind of game that he's always played and found the league where it made sense for him to do it, right? For, you know, for some guys, that's just how it's going to be, right? But for Dillingham, already sort of making that adjustment to, you know what, I'm willing to come off the bench. I'm willing to, you know, not pass first. That's the wrong way of putting it, but be a lot more willing to pass than, you know, I've been previously. It's a it's a change in role that I think, as you mentioned, opens up a lot more avenues for him to find a way into an NBA rotation. And I still think there is a world, obviously for any prospect, the world and the universe in which they become a star. They're finite (laughs) ones given the NBA is the cream of the crop. So few players are actually stars. I think there still exists paths that Dillingham can take that it would be unexpected, just like it has been at Kentucky for him so far, but possible for him to, if he's given just the exact right combination of factors, he could be considered someone who could have higher upside towards like some star level. And, you know, in a draft class where there are a ton of questions, let's just put it that way to start. I mean, I think, you know, again, the idea of, yeah, there's, there's an outside chance, you know, I think there's certainly a more than non-zero chance that he, you know, becomes more of a star becomes maybe a fringe all-star type, you know, not quite sure he reaches all NBA level, even at the best of outcomes, but, you know, we can leave that sort of avenue open. I think really the key here is that 
that's no longer the only avenue for him. Whereas if he played like he did at OTE last year, this year at Kentucky, I'd be a bit more sort of cynical about the potential avenues for, okay, if this doesn't work as him being the number one option, what is he providing for you that's helpful? Exactly. He's opened more doors for himself and the door still remains on like that higher end. And now like the middle doors those are ones that like he's really played himself into so we've talked about the shooting to some extent but let's talk a bit about the driving and this is sort of a weird sort of area to go into with dillingham and as you mentioned in the piece you know he probably weighed in the 155 160 range as a high school senior which you know, the fact that he's now listed at 176, as you mentioned in the piece, it's, you know, the kind of difference where I talked over the last couple of years frequently about Terquavion Smith and how concerned I was about, is he ever going to put enough pounds on his frame to be able to finish around anybody? He's so skinny and, you know, the pull-up looks great. You know, some of the stuff he does shooting-wise is fantastic, but if he can't ever successfully drive to the rim, what are we looking at here? And you know, for Dillingham, there have been some ups, some downs this year, just purely in terms of the eight games he's played so far. But him being at 176 rather than 155, 160 already is a dramatic difference. And, you know, the kind of thing where it makes it sort of easier to project that he'll get better around the rim because, you know, he's he's not a he's not a wet noodle anymore. He's like maybe two wet noodles stuck together, but not just the one. Yeah. For a guy who's just like with his frame there is going to be a natural ceiling on what his rim attempts are going to just look like and have to be to be efficient. He's not a guy, I mean, in some ways the pinnacle are like wings, like shooting guard, small forward types, the most athletic slashers who can get downhill and use every tool in the toolbox to make, you know, be a walking paint touch and a walking like paint disaster to a defense. (laughs) Sure. With Dillingham, he with that extra weight has made it so it's not completely reliant on either being one of the top 15 quickest and fastest players in the NBA, which is difficult in a world-class sports league. Yes. Or not being one of the five to 10 craftiest players around the rim, not having to have the Kyrie Irving layup package to be able to finish. He has elements of each part. He's a quick player. He is decisive and doesn't get caught too often. Waffling, he'll dart into the lane. He has some offhand finishes that he can do, scoops. But the fact that he now can absorb just a bit more contact is not like he's bouncing off guys in the way that another point guard in this class, Isaiah Collier, is much more known for. The fact that he can hold up against contact and not wilt under that pressure makes him someone who defenses will have to respect in that way. The fact that they have to respect his drives, just that couple of whatever percentage points more, the better he gets, the better his frame, the more they'll have to respect it, the more it opens up his passing, the more it opens up his pull-up, the more it opens up any offense season. I think this is something that I talk about more when it comes to non-shooting prospects, but it's the idea of can you do enough? Can you be, you know, a 33% shooter on four shots a game and 
that minor element, you know, forces defenses to guard you out there and therefore, you know, allows you more avenues to sort of exploit the defensive pressure. It's the reverse for Dillingham, but it's the same sort of principle of like, will teams just allow you free reign to get to the basket? Cause they just know, you know, one, one rotation down low and you're not going to be able to make it all the way to the rim. Like the difference between that and defenses have to at least, you know, game plan for the concept that he's going to be attacking the rim. Even that is, a significant step forward. And for someone who that isn't going to be the, you know, key point of their game, right? That's not Rob Dillingham's strength is never going to be his ability to score around contact at the rim, but him being slightly better at that opens up, you know, more space for the rest of his game because defenses have to think that through rather than just, yeah, sure. We'll leave you, you know, out by the three point line. And as long as you're not shooting, we're fine with it. Yeah. And this, it's not just like, I think a lot of times thinking about driving does exist in like a half court context. Mm -hmm. It's really important to be able to do in the half court. If he was a more of a negative finisher in transition too, if he couldn't be like counted on to get the easiest buckets with that marginal contact, it would make it much more, as you're saying, like the reverse of the idea of, Oh, he doesn't have a jump shot. It's like, Oh, he, can't finish like why would a defense be bent to his driving at all and you know again going back to the well here but that's part of what i struggled with in evaluating terquavion smith of there's just there's no reason to be worried about him driving to the rim and when that's your thing you can just play all the way up on him it's like i dare you to drive around me and i know you're not going to yeah and i think another credit to dillingham even outside like i think he's learned to drive with like the head up just a bit more in like this Kentucky team. It's obviously like the best collection of talent, just like floor and probably ceiling wise He'll yeah. play their college and like NBA prospects. It's not as much, not to say either of like his past AAU experience was barren his past high school OTE. The, the farther we get from the initial OTE rosters, the more players of, like draftable potential including like those are the highest and more of like gems that you might not have seen there is a lot of talent in those leagues this isn't even the best the kentucky team will get either dillingham yeah. being able to do this before bradshaw gets back before you know any of the other bigs who i don't know what happened to all of their feet and the breakage is there but this team will get better and that just opens it up a little more for him to take advantage of what he's improved upon. So you mentioned him having his head up more when he's driving. And I think that's a perfect way to sort of move forward into the next section and talk about his passing, which I think it's tough. Cause I mean, he's shown a lot, which is, you know, a lot of why he's been boosted up boards, but I think this has been the biggest positive display for me. The fact that he's averaging five assists per game, you know, even just, you know, the raw numbers, not even looking at the film, it's astounding that, you know, again, we're talking about someone who the concern going in was, do they do enough outside of shooting and scoring to be a valuable player? Now it's like, wow, he's actually, you know, he's got his head up. He's making himself more dangerous just anytime he steps on the court because teams have to worry about, okay, it's not just him looking to get a bucket, right? He's shown the willingness and the ability to be a really solid passer for the kind of archetype of player that he is. I love the over five assists a game. I adore the under two turnovers. The fact yes, yes, hundred percent. He has taken some strides in his passing, and some of those strides are due to 
not wanting to tear the top off and end up in the most like highlight worthy play. The fact that he has chosen those plays are still on film. I saw a bunch of them where you just kind of chuckle to yourself the way that he throws passes, the confidence he has. Those still exist. They're done more intentionally. Dillingham yeah. playing more within the Kentucky concepts that he has in front of him. He plays a lot out of the pick and roll with Trey Mitchell. Mitchell isn't, you know, the archetypal pick and pop forward. He's a pretty good one. He offers a lot more of the more simple reads. He offers a lot of the plays that don't require you to have faked out a defense, opened up a hole, and created all of this on your own. Dillingham being more willing to hit those smaller and still important but less flashy passes has that's like growth that is growth that shouldn't be discounted it's not just growth when a prospect makes like a jump in terms of the flash plays they can make you can make a splash by getting rid of the glaring weaknesses that were very legitimate gripes that a lot of people had yeah no i i couldn't agree more and i think it's a huge part of it is just you know, there are some players who are highlight reel passers. There are some players who are, you know, sort of more caretaker type, you know, point guard slash, you know, perimeter player, whoever's running the show, right? You know, just making the right pass. You know, maybe it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but you're not making mistakes, right? And that I think is a big difference of, you know, Dillingham does have the flair. He does have the sort of poor vision of, you know, not seeing the obvious play, right? But the ability to just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to make better decisions here. I'm going to make the easier pass more often because, you know, sometimes getting a, you know, turning a no shot into a great shot is awesome, but sometimes just keeping the ball moving, keeping the play going, you know, rather than screwing it up, right? Like asinine to say, but a turnover means there's zero points scored on that play by definition. Right. And so even just cutting those out of his game is a step forward, but you know, the combination of cutting some of the dicier passes out of his game while also being more willing to, you know, make the simpler reads. It's the kind of thing where, okay, I'm more willing to trust him with the ball in his hands than I was a year ago. And I'm more willing in that same way because he's played with other talented guards. When he's at the next level, he's not going to likely be the most talented guard on the floor or probably the most talented guard in his team's lineup. He's playing next to spot-up shooters where if he was hunting his own shot, if he was going for the flashiest like bounce pass, just the fact that he is continuing to feed Antonio Reeves, he's continuing to feed Reed Shepard, he's willing to be fed by them and play within those guard concepts, like mirroring the passes they give. He's giving those easy sort of right-in-the-shooter's pocket passes on the wing. That is another little bit it it feels like not nick picky in a bad way but it's like picking a good knit out of what he's been doing good knits add up like sometimes the difference between a talented guy sticking and a talented guy like flushing out of the nba is what good knits he can really compound and cutting out the turnovers just making sure you are getting the three-point shots it's becoming more and more crucial to any offense to get enough shots up from the perimeter to the good shooters those nits are important yeah i mean it's the kind of thing where ultimately you know if you're a team saying 
we are going to play Rob Dillingham minutes because we think he can create a bunch of shots for us, right? It's the kind of thing where, okay, if there's the one sort of primary reason you're playing him, if he can add more reasons to keep him on the floor, it makes it a lot easier to find a rotation context that makes sense, right? It's like, what is, you know, the fewer things he takes off the table, right? The easier it is to say he'll work in a three guard lineup or we'll have him as, you know, the one guard in a bench lineup, you know, being asked to create for others. The fact that he has more avenues than, you know, it seemed like he did last year makes it a lot easier to say, yeah, he'll, he'll find a place and, you know, on a different team, you know, that will look different, right? On a different team, you know, and we'll get to this in a bit, but, you know, just sort of mentioning some of the top creators in the league, like if he's playing alongside Luka Doncic, he's probably not going to have the ball in his hands as much as if he ends up on the Washington Wizards, right? And and so from there, it's like, okay, can he do enough outside of the main reason we have him on the floor to justify keeping him out there? And, you know, the more under control his passing gets, the more willing he is as a spot-up shooter, the easier it is to see that translation, at least in my mind. And the ways he'll translate, it does help not only with his driving, but just by getting a little bit stronger, he can take a little bit more contact to, you know, draw someone in and open up an extra foot of space when he passes it. There will be fewer of live ball turnovers with his handle. He has a great handle. Small guys can still turn it over when they're being hounded by good perimeter defenders. Him just slowly cutting little bits of that out as you were saying, gives him just more leeway and more of a viable case to get on the floor more. And I'm just going to quote directly from the piece here because you put it far better than I could. It's a simple step up in concept, but a monumental one in practice for Dillingham. The ability to create passing windows is done by the LeBrons and the Lucas with others like Tyrese Halliburton and Trey Young ascending to that level. I don't think Rob Dillingham will ever get there as a passer, but the floor he's already shown makes him a viable option at point guard in the NBA and hints at the at least slim potential for him to be much more. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier of, you know, is the window as obvious for Rob Dillingham to be an all-star as other prospects? No, but this kind of passing growth is sort of the easiest path I can see anyway for him to get there of if he gets to the point where he is at the same passing level as a Trey Young, then, I mean, you know, him being the same kind of passer as Trey Young with the offensive arsenal that he has, that player is an all-star and maybe even, you know, flirts with all NBA at some point. And given the improvement we've seen from him, you know, just from last year to this year, I don't want to rule out the potential of him taking yet another step forward as a passer. Yeah. I'm not ready to put a cap on Dillingham's ceiling. There are times where, I mean, in the NBA, it's the rookie wall, but there are certain times where it looks like, oh, right now where a guy is, this might be only as good as he can get. And things like passing instincts or really seeing the play before it develops, maybe those are some of those one-of-one skills that are super hard to develop. They're, as you're putting really... Brilliantly, there are a lot of ways Dillingham's passing can become more than it is already, and that is where he takes a step from small guard who creates his own shot and makes the right pass to small guard who's a threat from all of these different facets of the offense, and he's in consideration for more than just starting. And we've touched on this in passing briefly, but we might as well you know, bring it to the forefront now. 
you know, as you mentioned throughout the piece and throughout this discussion, you know, a lot of the help for Dillingham has been how well he's played off his various teammates and he hasn't had a center yet. (laughs) And, you know, that's, that's an element that I think, especially when we're talking about the passing side of his game, you know, him just showing a little bit in terms of, you know, pick and roll play with Aaron Bradshaw, I think, you know, he's sort of the easiest example to see of like, this is a pick and roll, you know, roll man center. You know, he, as you mentioned earlier, like, you know, he has a sort of a pick and pop threat in Trey Mitchell, but there's this whole sort of element of, you know, the Kentucky roster that he hasn't played with. And, you know, those are the kind of looks that you'd think would make things a lot easier for him. So, you know, on the one hand, it's like, wow, he's doing all this without Aaron Bradshaw, without any of the centers on the roster. Just imagine what it's going to look like when he actually is playing with those guys, right? It's, you know, the sort of idea of if he can do this with the context that he's got now, it'll be even easier when he has easier dump off options than he does at the moment. Exactly. I think on this idea of not having that center, it does just need to be touched on the defensive side for Dillingham as a smaller player without like a thicker frame. He's going to be at a disadvantage. He is going to be targeted. His name will be on the scouting report in all the wrong ways for (laughs) a defense and an offense looking at him. Those can be masked. Those can be slightly molded over by having like a better center. It can be molded over by, in the way I think it is right now, a guy like Reed Shepard is next to him. And Shepard has put in like a really impressive amount of early tape with what he can do defensively and how he plays. It helps take a bit of heat off of Rob. And I would argue at today's day and age in the NBA, it is easier to be a plus offense minus defense player than it would be minus offense plus defense. There used to be more defensive specialists. You can cover up and teams are more willing to cover up a player's defensive deficiencies if they start to bring the kind of package that Dillingham is scratching the surface with. Yeah, I think that's really the best way of putting it. I mean, the the Tony Allens of the world have, you know, left the NBA really. And, you know, someone like Matisse Thibel, who, you know, was an absolute superstar defensively and has been an absolute superstar defensively throughout his career, has struggled to earn playing high in multiple different places now because he just can't do enough on the other side of the ball. And so it's easier to sort of see the offense only mold just because there are a lot more examples you can bring up of the offense only mold. And, you know, it hasn't been as bad as it's been in the past, but, you know, we're talking about Trey Young, right? As someone who very similarly, you have to hide him. Okay. But, you know, if he provides enough on offense, you can justify, you know, him being someone that you have to hide rather than, you know, for someone who's a non-scoring player, like you pretty much have to be a defensive mastermind center who can run in transition for that to work at all. Yeah. Now with the, sort of issue with Dillingham. I mean, this was, you know, sort of going back to what we were talking about earlier of avenues to success, you know, as you mentioned, the flip side of that is, you know, there has to be a defensive context that works. And I think, you know, really the question there is, first of all, do you think Dillingham can get to the point where he's not just, you know, a hole on that end? And I'm iffy on that as a concept, but then I guess the question becomes, you know, do you sort of have to think of Dillingham as someone that you need to find a guard to pair with him? Like, you know, do you need to have the 
Lou Dort to his SGA, right? Do you need a pure defense guy to sort of make things work? And, you know, Reed Shepard isn't a pure defensive guy by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly he helps in that context in a way that, you know, Dillingham will need to have someone, I think, to help in that regard unless he takes a huge step forward defensively. The step you'd have to take forward defensively would be in the vein of how Steph Curry became not just the main target on a defense. Curry, in both like, both ends of the floor, he's one of the better and more underratedly better athletes in the NBA. He simply does not tire. He's gotten stronger. He's able to fight over screens in a way that his younger self couldn't. They paired him with Clay Thompson. They paired him with Andre Godala on other wing lineups. They knew even if he got better to the point that he wasn't just this hole that the defense could saunter through, they still had to do that. Trey Young, game-bending offensive mastermind. The team went out and got DeJounte Murray. They knew they would have to get someone who at least could play. And Murray is not a total perimeter stopper in that classic archetype. He can get his hands active. He is someone who is bigger. It was a necessity. Dillingham probably at this point has accepted. And I'm, like he'll have to understand that the guy next to him that person who is covering for more of his deficiencies is going to have ones of his own that the passing, the scoring, what he brings either has to be so good that it's this really lopsided part on one side of the scale, lopsided on the other that stay balanced, or he himself has to balance the scales. I don't know which one's easier. I don't know which one is more likely saying that he becomes a league, not below average in a bad way, but I'd consider below average on my modifiers as better than mediocre. League average defender, really tough. If he becomes league slightly below average, or if he becomes one of the 10 to 15 best creators on the ball for offense for himself and others in the NBA. Like those are the two that, you know, which path would he choose? I don't know which one's more likely. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really where it comes down to is given how much he adds on the offensive end, he just needs to be not awful on the defensive end. And, you know, you mentioned a few sort of models in the piece of which direction he can go with it. And, you know, you bring up the ideas of, you know, Damian Lillard, Jalen Brunson as, you know, bigger guys who are harder to push around, you know, even though they're in that six two six three range, they have the kind of frame that, you know, Dillingham has added, you know, good muscle in the last year, but... Is it going to be enough? I mean, you know, him growing to 176 is like when De'Aaron Fox entered the NBA, he was 175 and his ankles looked like they were about as thin as my fingers. And so it's like, okay, you know, he's either going to need to significantly bulk up or just become such an offensive superstar that you can't justify taking him off the floor, even if he's a huge hole on the defensive end. And I don't know. I mean, as you say in the piece, you know, he'll have to add that strength without sacrificing, you know, his his speed, because, you know, especially given that he'll struggle to score around, well, not struggle to score around the basket, but, you know, the idea of that's not going to be his strength, right? Like if he sacrifices speed for strength in a way that maybe it's easier for him to finish through contact, but, you know, he can't get around guys quick enough. I don't think that's a worthwhile trade off. And so then 
the question becomes, okay, is it going to be a situation where he just has to get good enough with his positioning and his fundamentals that he's not a detriment? Because the question of adding strength, you know, that's a give and take, whereas just, you know, him, I don't know, it's, it's a difficult dilemma, because he really can't afford to sacrifice that foot speed. But he also really can't afford to just be, you know, completely useless out there on defense. And I don't think he's completely useless now. But it's the idea of, he needs to find a way to be, you know, as you said, below average, but not worse than below average. If he chooses to focus more on that offensive end and not just go for the below average, it is worth pointing out like who he would have to look like. I think the closest in terms of body type and what his game would have to be molded after would be a guy like Tyrese Maxey or Darius Garland. Let's consider what makes each of those guys special. Maxey is lightning quick. He is someone who guys just can't stay in front of him. Rob's not there. So either he has to, I don't think he can lose weight to get quicker. I think it's, there's some, there are ways to get faster vertically, horizontally on the court. It'll take like that really thin percentile chance that happens with Garland, who's not a plus defender and gets hidden a lot by the two big lineup in Cleveland. You simply can't play him soft you have to be up in him he will pull up he will create like really great looks for the rest of his team his floater is dangerous he creates separation with his handle to get to a jump shot that is a genuine weapon you would start running out of like digits on your hands and feet like fingers and toes trying to find as many guys as good as he is as just like a pure shot creator as a guard and so if that's where Dillingham has to go, it's again that tight window. Is it more likely Dillingham becomes a facsimile of Darius Garland? Is it more likely that Dillingham becomes the defender who isn't roast chicken, who isn't just <laughs> yeah. someone that will be hunted to extinction? This hasn't gotten me any closer to figuring it out, but it just paints the picture in a clear light to consider the difficulty, the viability, but difficulty of him getting to this more star area that I think he can, but it would take a lot. I mean, as you say in in the piece, uh, I'm just going to quote you directly again, his pull-up jumper, which he's limited to help his efficiency, will have to come back in full force as a game-bending weapon. And that's, I think, really where it settles, is given that I'm not particularly sold on him becoming you know, a even average defender, like I think even that is pushing this sort of limit of what it's going to be. It's going to have to be a question of, can you, you know, again, sort of going back to what we were talking about earlier, can you provide enough on the offensive end to make up for the defense? And for that to happen, you know, he can't just be, you know, sort of pulling back on the self-created shots and just, you know, being a sort of caretaker point guard type because that, you know, that works. There are, you know, plenty of players, both the Jones brothers, for instance, who've, you know, made lasting NBA careers for themselves by being caretaker point guards. It's like, though, you know, both of them are also pretty good on the defensive end in a way that Dillingham, I struggle to see the path there. And so then it becomes, you know, okay, he's someone who, you know, just purely based on the offense and the defense being not, you know, worse in the NBA levels. It's like, I think that's still, you know, a quality rotation player, but if he's going to be more than that, 
I don't think it's going to be the offense stays where it is and the defense goes above average. Like, I think that's going to be a very tough hill for him to climb. Here's the part alongside that. That's the leap of faith that may have to be taken with Rob, unless there are injuries to the Kentucky backcourt that forces him into a different role than he currently has now. I'm not anticipating his pull-up numbers increasing in attempts, increasing in percentage. He's shooting a great percentage on it, but it's not going to be the type of thing where he's getting to take four or five a game. It's not what he's asked to do. It's not where he's excelling. It wouldn't make the Wildcats better for him to try and flex his star potential instead of his really high-level role playing and so it's going to have to be a little bit on faith do you like not you literally but do you (laughs) believe that dillingham can show enough in the flashes to justify belief in not just a flash but a continued threat as that pull-up is it something that can get to really it has to be the highest of the high level anything lower than that doesn't give him the path to stardom you're not going to see it at kentucky you've got to believe either in the way you're about to construct a team or in the way you think he will play and the opportunities he'll get that he will create that for himself it's it's possible and i think the beauty of dillingham's game in this early stretch is showing that possibility this is the one possibility that we're not going to see until he's really out of Kentucky, in my opinion. I mean, I think the irony of it is that Dillingham's stock will improve if he continues to play the way he has been. And maybe it's easier to see the star level outcome if he, you know, starts taking three or four more pull-ups a game and knocking them down at a high rate. But, you know, I think for him, it's like he will, you know, sort of solidify himself as someone that has to be in first round consideration, continuing to play the way he's playing now. And then the question is, okay, you know, if he goes to a team that believes in that sort of future outcome for him, you know, maybe he gets those chances, you know, maybe it's something where year one, he spends a decent amount of time in the G League and they say, just do whatever you want, run the offense, get those developmental minutes as the star guy. But, you know, the flip side of that is I think if he starts trying to play more that way, especially given the current context at Kentucky, you know, maybe the sort of higher end outcomes are easier to project if he does be more of a ball hog. But I think, you know, the chances of him getting drafted to a good situation for him will go up if he just continues to play the way he has been rather than, you know, playing like he's got something more to prove than he's already shown. He'll create more of those good situations for himself. The ones will exist on the draft board for an undersized guard who has to be hidden a bit. The more he takes the catch and shoots, makes the simple but correct pass, the more spots have that legitimate argument and the more teams are going to be talking themselves into, like, yeah, he is a guy that will move the needle. We've got to get him. All right. Anything else you want to cover on this one before we wrap this up? Other than the continued intrigue of this is a good Kentucky team already, it's going to get better as guys get healthier. What more will we get to see out of Rob, Reed, DJ, Aaron Bradshaw, all of these guys? Those possibilities are exciting. I think that 
we've set some, you know, lofty goals, increased potentials, but a lot of reasons to keep watching how Dillingham does. His most recent game wasn't his best. That's going to be really instructive to look at too, to think about what he still needs to work on to have that expanded future for the NBA. All right. Well, he is Rowan Kent. You can find him on Twitter at Rowan Kent, and you can find his written work on NoCeilingsNBA.com. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson, and you can find my written work on NoCeilingsNBA.com as well. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback regarding the deep dives portion of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Cool.